But at the same time, it could be the most gigantic business boost for new customers. Once Easy. you have this technology, Nico, we are here <laughs> to, I, to partner I with bring, you. I bring it to you. Okay, this well, is yes, good. I have a good connection I've to got the a, tech I've world. got an investor. Yeah. When well, that yeah. app comes out, <laughs> yeah. I, I will triple my purchases. Hi, Mark. Thank you very much for taking the time here. Welcome to Monaco. Thank you. Have you arrived well? Well, no. Easy traveling. First of all, I mean, okay, Hugo Boss, unbelievably global company, 500 million profit, uh, or EBITDA, as you would like to call it. That's, uh, that's huge. Is it an honor? Are you proud to be CEO of such a company, such a German company as well? Yeah. Well, uh, I've been with this company now for 16 years, so it's been kind of like part of my life, and now being in a super privileged role. To run it as a CEO, I think there can't be anything nicer than that. Maybe winning the world championship in Formula One racing, but I think it comes pretty close to being charged for such a great company. I would like to start really with the connection that Hugo Boss has to sports, yeah. because uh, you have a history, being, being really Definitely. strongly having partnerships yeah. in sport and using it to enhance the brand. Can you explain a little bit why you see such a power in that link for Hugo Boss? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's part of our gene. There was just Ayrton Senna when we saw him again wearing the helmet with a boss signature to it. So it was especially motorsport, but also golfing, sailing, which have a long tradition at Hugo Boss. In its core, it's our uh, association with competitiveness. So sports as a, also as a stage to demonstrate your strength, to win, to strive to be the best, whatever you do, but also to be humble in moments of defeat and then stand up again, try again. There's a lot of things how We see ourselves, how many customers see us, that's reflected in the world of sports. Okay, so you, you're saying this competitiveness and all that. How does that then switch over to enhance the Hugo Boss brand if you're a part of that competitiveness? Is, is that really exactly your brand strategy as well? Can you explain that a little bit more in more detail? So you have Anthony Joshua. He's in the ring. I'm not sure, but he probably has Hugo Boss on his pants. He wins, destroys everybody. How, how is the transfer then done to the Hugo Boss Brand. Well, people t tell story. So uh, your story, story from other heroes in sports like Ayrton Senna is what people love. That's the one I associate with. And then brands that have a credible association with these sports heroes clearly resonate. But I think it's also shared values. It's um, a level to be fair to your competition, to work hard for your success celebrate and style. So these are all elements that we recognize in the field of sports. And that's why I think Boss is such a strong partner in many uh, global sports events. I would like to go a little bit more uh, deeper into the Anthony Joshua partnership. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more as well? How have you seen a, a real transfer and a real enhancement in sales mm -hmm. as a result of this partnership? Is there particular examples where you see maybe groups of people, especially where, because I mean, UK, the whole country is behind him. Yes. Do you then see after a box fight in the two weeks afterwards that Hugo Boss sales go through the roof? Or is there really certain, like very concrete, you're a Mr. Analysis. Um, <laughs> yes. I've heard rumors you're like an extremely analytical person, really, really mm -hmm. highly intelligent in that sense. Uh, you don't have to confirm, let me, let, I can say that. <laughs> so, Thanks, I'm sure you, so I'm sure you love diving into these yeah. kind of analytics. And because as you said in a, in a talk before, it's not anymore nowadays, you just put a brand on there and, uh, and pray that somehow there will be a, a transfer and benefit to the brand. Now it's all about getting real transfer exactly. and measurable transfer. Yeah. So going into the Anthony Joshua example, 
tell us please some real real uh, examples where you've seen bah, okay this has boosted sales massively because of this and this yeah. Well, we do. Uh, we built specific collections around sports heroes. We did this in sporting with uh, Martin Keimer in golfing. Uh, we have something with Alex Thompson, our brand ambassador in sailing. But this is just kind of like then the reflection in our collection to it. And uh, we are planning to do something with Anthony as well. But more importantly, when we first met Anthony, we dressed him for an event in London. So, I mean, you know, as a sporting guy, you cannot always wear your... Uh, racing gear, uh, you have other obligation. And it was a man of the year celebration of the GQ magazine. He was invited there and uh, he said, well, I only want to wear Boss. That's a brand we love. And then we dressed him. He, he looked great in our tailor-made suits. He said, I want to do more with you. And this is how we w would like to build partnership. It should be something that's not kind of like being ruled by contract or compensation. It should be something needs to be authentic. And people today have a super fine feeling whether a brand and a brand ambassador truly have a true fit to each other. So they have to share same values, aesthetics. And especially with uh, Anthony, it's incredible. I just met him a couple of months ago in London. Uh, we presented him a big frame with his picture as a world champion. And then we had the Klitschko brothers also in the boss outfit because we're going to do a rerun to that. We will... Uh, you might remember the Rocky movies from the 80s. So it goes back quite some time. He said, well, you are the pinnacle in a history in boxing sports. I must say, I was giving this to him in this super sweaty gym. And uh, he was so excited to recognize, well, we as a global brand see him as a true member of our family. So it, it's much more than just, okay, you're being paid for wearing our logos. We would like to give you something you feel very comfortable in. And... It's truly the case. He's wearing our clothes beyond paid um, occasion. And that's what we like about him. He truly has an emotional connection to our brand. Uh, you touched on Rocky. Yeah. So it's funny you say that because Rocky, um, on my way to the World Championship, it was the one movie that I kept on watching. Mm. I kept on watching over like many other every people. two weeks. I mean, this so is motivating. A, yeah. It's a, especially people in a, in competitive environments. So it could be motor racing, but it could be tennis and others. I mean, you know even better than I do that there are moments of frustration where you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning, all the workouts, all the hard work. And I think this movie exactly captures this spirit. Okay. Uh, you might fall down, but you have to stand up again and again to pursue your dreams. And, uh, I mean, it was just a coincidence that we were able to dress Rocky. It was one of the earliest product placements in the movie. But it was a perfect match, and uh, it still resonates today. I wasn't aware of that. So Rocky was in Hugo Boss. Yeah, he was wearing on uh, as we was preparing for the fight. You remember when he was doing all this funny stuff? It was one of the earliest um, product placements in the eighties. He was wearing a Boss sweatshirt, and we will have now a retro capsule coming up this year that looks exactly. This was uh, I was giving to Anthony was a kind of like a pre-series to it, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, to the original that Rocky was wearing. So okay, wow, sorry, cool. I, I missed it. Okay. No, no, it was, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Just to go back again to my question, when Anthony has the fight, mm. do you see a huge ramp up in sales for Hugo Boss afterwards or is it never that that obvious yeah. and that clear? Uh, we see peaks in social media. That's the media. Today, we are more following social media activation. So do people engage uh, with that? Because we know if it's the right level of engagement, financial success will follow. So yeah. there are now better ways to measure than just revenues uh, and traffic numbers to our stores. 
but we um, have done a couple of events with them in our recent street store. Uh, everything in New York City right now around Madison Square Garden, you see big billboards with uh, the Boss logo. So uh, we're clearly capturing that. But I tell you, whether it's X or Y percent increase in sales, well, if it's bigger, it's better, clearly. But uh, we think that's something like a long-term partnership that will pay out uh, immediately. But it's also something, as I said earlier, we want our partners to feel comfortable in the association. They shouldn't be seen kind of like a walking billboard to us. Uh, they should feel authentic in our clothes. Yeah, of course. No, but that that comes across as well, yeah, uh, as, you, as you were important. saying now. Um, I would like to move on to the motorsports, which as Please. well has an unbelievable history for, for Hugo Boss. Yeah. You had, uh, I don't know, 40 years in Formula One or, or 30 years, and it was all with McLaren? Yeah. All with McLaren, was, is that right? Well, it was all the way. We, we were recognized, I think, after 30 or 35 years as the single longest partnership in motorsport. And um, I think we have been with McLaren in very successful times, but also in difficult times. We then decided to move on to Mercedes. It was always kind of like the thinking, is there a true German team in Formula One? It was always the French, the Italian, the British. There was never BMW for some time, but now with Mercedes, a huge commitment to Formula One. And you were a part of that. So we said, okay, well, there's a German team. And I must say it was also due to you because it was kind of like to find Mercedes as a local partner and then such a great face and a driver for us. I think it was a great time to change gears. And I mean, ultimately, we celebrated the ultimate success with you becoming world champion. So you said like, okay, that guy is definitely going to be world champion. We have well, to jump on the wagon there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are champion uh, now sponsored to the Formula E um, yeah. um, a series, but we also picked four drivers kind of like as brand ambassadors. So, of course, the one was easy, Lucas de Grasse, because he was a reigning champion. We said, well, uh, he's going to be one. And then we said, okay, we need some more faces. And we picked two, Jerome D'Ambrosio and Jean-Éric Vern. Well, and he also, as you know, became world champion last year. Well, you should ask us who's going to be his next champion. <laughs> and Ambrosio has been leading the championship. Uh, well, That's the third guy until the last I, race. I so thought I had a perfect goes. track record until uh, the Paris race, but I met Jerome yesterday night and I think he is very eager uh, and committed. But uh, what I also like about Formula E, it's much less predictable. Yeah. And I think that's what people love about sport or expect from sport. There must be some level also of unpredictability to it to make it really uh, interesting. Back to uh, the history of F1, just a little touch there. We just had these huge viral tributes to Ayrton Senna. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. one of the most obvious things there mm. is your, present on, uh, your yeah. presence on Ayrton Senna's helmet. Is there any... Um, like company myths or legends that are talked about in within yeah. Google Boss about those ta those days. So you were one of the big sponsors of the McLaren team in 1988 as well, yes. which is possibly the most historic year for Formula One in that battle uh, Senna against Prost. Is yeah. there some some one one story that you can share on that? It's interesting because the people who are now at Hugo Boss, I would say 95, 97 percent were not with. Uh, Hugo Boss at this time. But there's, um, you have been to our headquarters and now we have a big modern campus, but there's uh, one building that's slightly older. It was a former headquarter building to it. And at the wall in the entrance, we still have uh, an original Alton Senna racing car. So it's a, we have been offered millions now. <laughs> oh, you have to sell it. And I said, we're never going to sell it because every day hundreds of people are passing through. They see this. McLaren racing car from the 80s and you see it's it's a used one you see Ayrton Senna on the side 
it's always good to know where you come from. And I think it's a very strong reminder. So I see it as something that just for the next generation tells them where we're coming from. There's a very proud history to it, but you need to know to find the next great thing for what we are proud 20, 25 years from now. Um, may I ask you then your, your switch? So we became world champions together in yeah. 2016. I remember very well. <laughs> thank, uh, thank you for the support on that. Um, and then you decided to shock the industry, shock everybody and make the cut from mm. Formula One to Formula E. Can you explain, please? Well, it was not uh, something that we took lightly. As you said, it was a very long history in Formula One, even so we were supporting other racing series as well. It was core of our engagement. But there were a couple of effects coming together. One was clearly there's, um, in, especially in the fashion industry, there's, there's now enormous importance of sustainability. So uh, in products, but also throughout the full value chain. And we thought this has to be also reflected not only what we do, but also where we engage ourselves. And then I had a chance to meet Alessandro. He was in Germany for some other meetings. And uh, our head of sports sponsorship said, oh, you have to meet this guy. He's very visionary. There's something interesting coming. And we met for half a day. And I was deeply impressed by his vision. And we said, okay, we do our homework. We go into more detail. And so it was, as I believe, the switch from traditional combustion engine to electrical powered vehicles is coming. If you go to Shanghai, if you go to LA, it's going to be the future. And what I like most, which basically gave the final decision to me, it's a far more innovative racing series. It's far more accessible. It's super modern, very open-minded when it comes to uh, capturing a younger audience in terms of social media. And clearly the killer argument is the race is not happening in somewhere where the fuck is Austin, but it's happening in New York. <laughs> so it's truly happening where people want to see the sport. And I think that's also one of the factors why it's growing so much. And maybe last argument to that, joining as an early supporter. We're not there from day one, I have to admit. We're only here in the sports zone for two years. But we take a much more central and form or visible role than the huge, gigantic circus of uh, Formula One. So I think we can add something to the party here as well in Formula E. <laughs> um, just that I throw in personally, and I'm sure you as well. I, I also, I really love Formula One as well uh, as Formula E at the moment. So I'm, I'm really neutral on both. How is Formula E now worked for you? How, how have you used it as a brand in, in, lately in, in yeah. more concrete terms? Well, Again, it's about faces, as I yeah. said. Um, we have used the drivers. We, we support Lucas Degrassi, Jean-Éric Verne, um, and, uh, and the others. Um, but we use it predominantly now to show our brand in Rome, in Paris, in Hong Kong, to a regional audience. So it's something to invite customers, to show our competencies. I think this has been very strong. We will develop further. We announced a partnership with Porsche. We will be uh, then also a team sponsor again uh, with Porsche and Formula E and other motorsports that they do. So it's also something if you want to associate with the sport and people love, of course, I mean, Porsche is maybe the brand when it comes to competitive motorsport. I think we also found the right partners. Oh, no, it's, it's a fascinating time for Formula E with, with Porsche coming in, Mercedes, BMW, Audi. I think in the history of German racing, yeah, it's never, never. happened that the, the four luxury companies race each other. Exactly. And nobody can afford to come second. No. It would be a disaster because uh, they're, it's one of their most important marketing opportunities for their electric future, yeah. which, as we know, is the whole company. Uh, so, I know. Wow. So this you is, don't want to be motorsport this is, boss now. This is huge. <laughs> <laughs> this is huge. So I would like to go um, further now on... 
as well as we see in mobility, where we're disruption, it's going from combustion to electric. So many industries around the world seem to be at the same time in a huge disruption in different forms, yeah. which is unbelievable, actually, and crazy. So in fashion, you, you have this incredible disruption where it's going from physical retail shop buying to buying online, yes. which is, in other words, called digitalization. But I think in more concrete terms, it means just buying online and getting sent your, your clothes. Um, at the moment, you have 4% in, yeah. of your revenues digitally, and you yeah. want to multiply by 4 in a couple of years' time, which is quite ambitious, I suppose. Can you explain that disruption there and what, uh, what kind of an incredible risk it is yeah. for a company like Hugo Boss, who has, as you say, 96% at the moment in sales in retail? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it, it's, I mean, it's unbelievably dangerous, but at the same time, it's an incredible opportunity Definitely. to destroy the opposition. Let me, let me talk in racing terms. <laughs> you wouldn't say that, but uh, to destroy the opposition. Please in, explain that situation a little bit. Well, it's not our decision or some kind of like magic force that says, okay, buy online. It's just uh, become so convenient, especially for a younger consumer. People now interact with the world via smartphones. So it's just a natural consequence that they discover clothes and footwear via their smartphones. And if the purchase is just a tip away, you buy online. So um, if you ask uh, younger people, do you buy online or offline? They're a bit confused because they see this as an integral part of their life. I mean, our product will always be physical. So we're not talking about like the books industry where the product itself becomes a digital product or music. I mean, ask your daughters uh, eventually, what is uh, a CD? I mean, they will be puzzled because in times of Spotify, nobody knows what a physical product is like. Apparel is different. So people will still enjoy to go shopping or to the inner city. So I'm not worried about at least the major met metropolitan areas. But if you don't have a highly integrated sh uh, shopping system so that people can discover your brand online, read interesting stories about you online, but also have just a highly convenient way to buy it, uh, you have big issues. I think that's the disruption you're talking about. So we are working, building the right platform. So it's unfortunately expensive and it's investment, but we have size. You mentioned at the beginning, we are one of the largest players in the industry, so we can afford to invest into this infrastructure and we see rapid growth right now. So the behavior is changing. We grow 40% online last year. We are aiming at a similar growth rate. So the quadrupling on the business, just the consequences of a new behavior and us being good enough to tap into this demand. It's a very interesting time, but it's not only the sales part. What might be even more interesting is what technology will do in product development. So this used to be an industry where you do a fashion show and then you put a lot of advertising and then you produce a lot of stuff and then you push it into the market. What we see now, and we just tested this in Germany, has become the pull industry. So you as a consumer decide, okay, I like this jacket. And then in our vision, ultimately, this jacket will be produced to your specific needs. So it's kind of like a mass customization because you don't want to pay a huge premium to it. And I think this is where technology will make a major difference in the years to come. This is Industrial Revolution 4.0, exactly. which is this extreme demand for individualization. In the apparel industry. And uh, this might be an even bigger change from my perspective than just moving from physical retail to e-commerce. It's the change that technology will bring, not only in terms of a more sustainable supply chain, but also something which is built more around your specific requests and requirements as a consumer. Okay, let's go into more detail, please. 
I'm sitting at home. Yes. I suddenly get the idea. Ooh, I got in, in three weeks time. I have this awesome uh, event with my wife. I would like such a special tailor-made suit. Mm-hmm. When is Hugo Boss going to make it possible that I sit there, I go, uh, I go online, I give in my height, so mm-hmm. I see another guy in with my height yeah. and my shape wearing wearing a suit, and I say, "Wow, that kind of style! Mm-hmm. This is what I want." Send me some samples. I want I want the samples to arrive the next morning mm-hmm. um, via via post, so I can choose the fabric. Yeah. So here I've got the fabric. I've got the style. Mm-hmm. Then you you need to find out a way of measuring me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can do that. Um, we have some ideas, but, but you need please to find you need yeah. to find out a, a way of measuring mm-hmm. me. So I've got the sa- samples because I just decide the fabric. I've got the style because I see the guy exactly my sa- mm-hmm. size and shape online. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. wearing the suit the way I want it. Yeah. So I've got all that. Now all you need to do is figure out my my sizes, and then I want to push uh, buy, and I want the suit to arrive tailor made for me one week later. When is this going to be possible? Well, what you described in some of these aspects is already true today. And it's exactly some of these um, expectation customers that we're working on right now. I mean, let's go in a bit more detail what you described. One is, this is where the journey starts today, sitting very comfortable in a bar or at home to get inspired or to find the products that you would like to have. Typically, you have something, okay, there's an important date or event coming up and you have this nagging feeling or you're being told by your wife, well, not the outfit from last time. <laughs> that's, the, that's the time for change now. So, uh, and then you have the impulse and you get inspired. So this uh, inspiration is such an important part because this, this is where the journey starts. So this is why we want to be in the relevant social media and the right pl- um, platforms. So once you discover your product, uh, today um, you mentioned f- finding the right size. Well, the good thing is we know you. So if uh, it's a known customer to us, your past purchases are known to us. If you haven't really gained weight or done uh, funny things to your body, it's relatively stable. So we know already which which are your sizes. So let's go for the unknown. For the unknown, there are multiple solutions. There's no category killer right out there. There are some interesting apps now that you can use for self-measurement. So we looked at these. Some of them are very promising, but it's not. It's one if if you want to start a billion dollar business, um, put your thoughts together and find the best self-measurement app because the industry is waiting for that. But typically, um, there are some good, relatively good proxies to it. We say, well, um, how we can help people also via, if you go to our online app or to our web store to find the uh, uh, right self-measurement. Once you have that, we have now, it becomes to the, do I buy something that's available online or do I, like in your example, something that's custom made. So you want to basically bring fabrics, some certain trimmings, maybe the zipper. You want to do this according to your specific needs. Well, interesting enough, we just launched in Germany a program that's right now just on suits, but you mentioned a more festive event. Mats Hummels was the testimonial for that. We call it Made for Me. Made for Me is right now, you have, still have to go to one of our stores, but in the store, we do exactly what you said. Okay, what is the occasion? What is kind of like select the fabric? So like the cool jacket I'm wearing. And then the product you makes a, a selection on fabrics, trimmings, linings, and others. And then since we have an own very efficient factory in Izmir, you get not next day, but within uh, less than five days, the suit from us delivered to your home. So some parts of your visions, vision is already reality today, but I tell you a lot of these capabilities will separate winners from losers in, in the near future, because what you described as expectation from, for yourself will become the new standard in our industry. And 
it will require a lot of technology in the interaction with the customer uh, and also in your supply chain, which will determine success in our industry. But it's so difficult because I need to know that that's going to reliably fit me in the exactly. way I want it. Yeah, that's and why I, I said the fitting app is uh, one of the killer applications to it. We have some solutions already, which we have started to test, which come relatively close. It's especially relevant for new customers. A bulk of our business, that's why the issue is not that pressing at Hugo Boss, is that we have a, uh, we do a big part of our business with repeat customers. So once we know, okay, your size 46, 48, it's relatively easy, then the sizing is not the biggest issue. It's rather the customization to give you something inspiring and especially involve you in the configuration of the product. But at the same time, it could be the most gigantic business boost for pulling in new customers. If you create this yeah. unbelievably easy, so once easy you have this technology, Nico, we are here to, <laughs> so I, to partner I bring, with you. I bring it to you. Okay, this well, is yes, good. I have a good connection. I've to got, the a, tech I've got an investor. Yeah. This is good. I've got a VC behind me now. This yeah. is very good. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Actually, we are. I'm going to explore. Truly support some of these. I mean, um, we are working with a lot of startups right now. They say um, they know also ideas in 3D printing. You might have heard about it. So fabric is difficult to print. Even there are some ideas, but on others. So since we have such a broad base, we try to uh, support internally and externally these startup ideas. And we are looking at multiple self-measurement and other technology solution to it. And I'm pretty sure there will be one that is exactly delivering the service and the quality that you expect. Where do you think it's going to come from at the moment, if you had to guess? Is it going to be China? Or do you think Europe has a chance? When it comes to apparel, it's still uh, more the Western world and uh, some of the Korean and Japanese because uh, they are especially on the software that runs the development process. Some of the strongest players are right now coming from North America and from Korea, surprisingly. So take a guess, please. When is Hugo Boss going to have this service the one you reliably described? ready to go? Um, I would say um, in a full scope, probably in the next three to five years. That's soon. Yeah. yeah. That's very soon. Yeah. I would like to go more into personal. You have been, I mean, first of all, working with some great leaders. So is there one inspirational leadership style that you have experienced where you said, wow, this is seriously like amazing and you're mm -hmm. trying your best now to, to uh, use it yourself and maybe mm -hmm. even develop it further? Is there one example that you could talk about? The previous CEO or yeah. another company that you worked for or even just your leaders on a lower level before mm -hmm. or, or, or anything? I never had somebody who said, I want to be like him or her. And I said, okay, that's, and I think that's also as a manager, I, that would also not be my advice. So sometimes I'm now being asked, being now the leader of your boss, okay, Mark, what do I have to do to be as successful as you were? And I said, well, that's kind of like the wrong question to ask. I mean, because I have never planned to be here and we all have to recognize that sometimes it's just also a factor of just being at the right time, at the right place. And you're not going to be happy if this is your pursuit. I think, it's more importantly to be honest to yourself, kind of like recognize where you're good at and maybe where you're not good at and maybe accept something that you will never be. I'm not going to be a world-class piano player, so so I have to make my living somewhere else. And then what I did throughout my career is kind of like, uh, I think was also a good observer. I always wanted to understand why things are sometimes more successful than others and you're right. Uh, I believe a lot of success depends on leadership still uh, from the management team. And this is not only to the managing board. It already starts kind of like with your most junior leader. So if you're promoted first time into the leadership role, I think that's the most difficult promotion you ever get because you 
sometimes become then the boss of your former peers. Very difficult sometimes to say, well, uh, to run that. Well, I've been in, in the industry or in a professional environment. I was working for McKinsey for many years. I was at Procter and Gamble. So I always observed leadership, style, and impact. And I think from that, I try to create my own success formula. And um, I think there's some elements to it. So I think one is you have to build a strong team. Always try to find people who are smarter than yourself and have skills that are complementary to yours. I think that's the base for any success of the company. And the second, I think it's very simple. Also, when you remember to, when you move to the top, treat people like you wanted to be treated when you were a team member. So kind of like in a respectful, also demanding way, you don't want to be taken easy. So people want to give challenging goals. They want to have open feedback, true feedback. They want to understand where they want to be better. But always remember when you have this situation, how would you expect this to happen if you were sitting on the other side of the table? I think these were kind of like the recurring elements of very successful managers that are observed and that now I'm trying with some all modesty to apply yeah, my own management style. Well, you see that more and more. And nowadays, it's the modern leadership style to really care more and more mm -hmm. for your for the, for your team, for your employees b below you, which back in the day, sometimes yeah. was not necessarily the case for great leaders. I think there's a change there, isn't there? Yeah, I think there, there are probably two reasons for that. I think the, the reason we all hope for that we say, well, it's a better leadership style. <laughs> That's why. But what we also observe at Hugo Boss, maybe particularly in the fashion industry, there's now a generation that can't be nationally motivated just by, okay, that's a big money you can get that you need to offer them more, kind of like explain them the why they do that. So that in a way, they're more demanding. It's a scarce resource in some areas because it's with the demographic changes, also in Germany, uh, they all know they're uh, sought after resources. So you need to offer them more than just a competitive salary. You also need to offer them interesting tasks in a working environment and also leadership style, what you refer to, that they feel comfortable. But honestly, it's not only for me comfort, it's also world-class performance from the team. So we need to have this, coming back to motorsports or other sports, you need this competitive spirit that second is first loser. So uh, you might never achieve it, but the goal has to be, we strive to be number one. So I'm um, also sometimes pushy. We say, well, never settle for the status quo. You also have to be demanding, which is maybe not as cozy as some people would like it to be. How do you instill that in your team? How do you convince them, hey, let's push like hell because we, we mm -hmm. need to win this? For me, this is one of the most important selection criteria if I um, select people for a management position is this hunger to have an impact. I think the hunger for impact and say, well, that from now on, this is also your company. Well, don't blame anybody else. You have now whatever is your responsibility and I expect you to do this kind of like, like it's your own. So you get the mandate. Yeah? I want you to be an entrepreneur within the company. And people say, well, I would rather be told what to do and honestly, I've other things that I find more interesting to do than I, I thought this is just what is providing with my paycheck. Maybe we have some roles for you, but then clearly not where it really matters. So I'm, I'm not saying we have more than 16,000 people worldwide. And some people are maybe very happy in a very clear specialist role. Uh, we are not pushing everybody for promotion, but where it matters in key functions, we want somebody who is kind of like the Rocky movie we talked about. Somebody who is so eager 
to show everybody that we are the best in what we do. And with these people, you win the war. So you're like that as well? I think I am. <laughs> Quite a fighter, yeah? <laughs> well, uh, maybe not in all fields. I'm not going to battle you on the racetrack. But <laughs> uh, uh, in, the manager, in the boardroom, I think I'm a pretty good fighter. Um, so if you're such a fighter, how do you at the same time manage to keep a balance in life? Because mm -hmm. fighter is often will, will lead you to being exaggerative, yeah. working too many hours, working too hard, pushing too hard, pushing people too hard. Mm -hmm. What do you do and what have you learned for yourself to keep the balance? Because that can often lead to unhappiness. It, it doesn't yeah. matter how successful you are, how much money you're making as a CEO. If you're pushing too hard, it's, it's yeah. just not the right way for life to go. Um, what have you learned there and what kind of balance are you, mm. are you finding there and are you looking good there or is it definitely <laughs> an area where you need to make progress? Where we stand today as a company, I, I think we've made progress, but uh, there was setbacks. So, I mean, we are not that we say also, you mentioned earlier, what kind of like service you expect. We are not there yet. And so it's the work to be done, but it's not a race for the next 10 minutes. It's a real, Something that takes maybe months, quarters, years to implement. So you have to balance your life in some way. Um, the best balance for me is my family. Uh, so I've uh, three daughters. Uh, I'm happy married man. So I think there it's your family. It's for me. It's kind of like that grounds you. Kind of like uh, if you're then at a. So they're also in the sports. So one is playing soccer on a quite competitive level. So. It, I really enjoy on a Saturday then to be there to see a completely different world than the Hugo Boss world. And I think that it's a good way to balance your life and also to understand there's more in life than just being a successful CEO or leader to, uh, to a business. And what's one, one, uh, technique you've done to make sure that you have enough time for the, for the family? Is it, for example, that you switch off your phone Friday at eight when, when work is over and only switch it on Monday morning? Or is there one, one technique, secret mm. advice that you can give to make sure that that balance is, is kept that you've applied? Yeah. I think there's a, an aspect of self-discipline to it, which you can also learn. So if you have the feeling to work 24 seven, then you have made some of the mis, um, violated some of these things that I mentioned earlier, because then you have not built a strong team that you can l rely on. Uh, if you have done that, and then the supervision is now 24-7, because you wouldn't like to be supervised 24-7 as a employee. I can't switch off my phone, that's true. That's typically on 24-7, but I typically work maybe from 7.30 to 8. I think that's... I mean, it, it is a responsible role that requires... Also, a lot of input. That's part of the deal if you want to be CEO of a company of this size. But uh, you seem quite relaxed. So I, I find my balance. I definitely agree that this personal discipline is one of the most important and most powerful forms mm. for success, but also for happiness. Yeah. Do you write down your goals or something mm. in that sense? Or, or do you have really set like, okay, every day, seven o'clock, I go for a run first or, mm. or something to keep the energy and, and well-being going? Cause that will help performance in the job as well. Definitely. Is there any, any techniques there in more detail that you yeah. do with respect to the self-discipline, which helps you perform at your best? I clearly prioritize things that I have to do myself or where I have to be involved. And there's areas I want to monitor and that there are others I know they're happening and I expect my team to tell me if there's something not happening to plan. If this executed as planned, don't, you don't need to tell me and I don't need to get involved. And I have a pretty good feeling on how many things I can truly be personally involved into. So that's uh, just need to prioritize. And if you have more than 10, 
you have to redraw your list. So uh, I think that's the sub uh, quite well. I'm still trying to run the half marathon in less than 130, <laughs> one hour 30. So my best is oh, 134. That's, that's, it's well, for somebody who just uh, turned 40, uh, 50, <laughs> feels 40, but is 50 now. <laughs> So I'm, uh, my best was two, two, three, two or three years ago was, uh, 134. So four minutes to shave off, which is tough, but let's see. Um, maybe this one next year. So as I said, you have to set yourself truly ambitious goals, but, um, this keeps me motivated also to train. So, uh, running is probably the sport I do most. I do as well. And that yeah. helps with keeping yeah. the balance as and well. And also, yeah. we are living in Stuttgart, not in, uh, Monaco is a bit, uh, but also you have beautiful ways to run here. But uh, if you're in the woods and you kind of like have a maybe a long two hours run just to, it frees your mind and uh, sometimes you get a different perspective to it. So as you said, um, it helps you also not only to balance life, to reset, recharge your batteries, but also might give you a fresh perspective on some of the issues that you're contemplating. So I've, I've used, uh, lately I've used it as a time to grow as well as a person, this running, uh, mm-hmm. because I always, I always listen to podcasts. And I think it's a, it's oh, been really, really yeah. great. Yeah. Ah. Really I've tested great. that, but I let my mind wander. Yeah. Okay. Bit, so that's a, that's, that's a good way as well. Yeah. So I spoke to Toto Wolf on the podcast mm-hmm. and he said yeah. as well that sometimes when he flies, he lets his mind wander for hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours. But that, it's also a form of self discipline mm-hmm. to make those times yeah, free where you just free up. your mind mm-hmm. and, and let mm-hmm. it wander. Yeah. It, that requires it a lot of self It could be traveling. It could be sport. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really, really important. You have uh, managed to rise within a company. To, uh, of 16,000 people to the very top, you're number one, yeah. probably 70% of the people listening mm. aspire to the same kind of rise. It's hugely challenging, of course, and you need mm. to be lucky, as you said. But Gary Player, the greatest, one of the greatest mm. golf persons of all time, said, uh, oh, it's funny, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Yeah. So <laughs> in, another, in another way, the more I hustle, yeah. the luckier I get. It That's increases a, your chances, definitely. Can you please, for everybody who's listening, give one your one key advice? How mm. do you manage to always, there's 10 guys on your row, mm. they all want to get to the next step, yeah. and every time it's you that gets to the next step. Mm. It's not just down to skill, because yeah. there's always other skillful people. So give one technique to the people listening, what do they need to do to mm-hmm. every time be that one person that every time wins and takes the next step yeah. over and over. For example, mm-hmm. is it the relationship to... The guy above mm-hmm. who makes the decision yeah. who gets to the next step i think that it plays a role that can't be underestimated so we are living i mean we're all human beings it's not an algorithm that takes these promotion decision and uh, sometimes these decisions might be biased so uh, i'm trying to be a big proponent to make uh, objective selection uh, decision and sometimes use even algorithm now what to, really yeah i mean they're in uh, in some industries amazon and others are already tr- taking some promotion decision not by a, a truly personal committee anymore but based on for example rewarding people who are, co- are coding uh, you can truly measure in a very objective way who is the most productive coder in the team so um, because you were asking how important is personal relationship so you need to be a good fit to the team and if you have all people who are extremely good drivers but you need also a swimmer to the team then maybe the swimmer is has an advantage because he has this uh, missing capability and then you're just lucky to be a swimmer in this selection i think for my biggest piece of advice would be be sure that you are working in the field that you truly love to be engaged 
because happiness in what you do might be even more important than the promotion that you get. So sometimes I sense that people join certain industries. So I was at McKinsey and I, th I know uh, many people were working in investment banking. I think they're drawn into sometimes into this role for the wrong reasons because kind of like, okay, you got the best grades. You have now to go into management consultancies or whatever. And my advice is, especially when I, I talk to people who ask me, okay, Mark, what should I study? Which field I should apply? Well, ask yourself, what are you really patient about? Because if you are now in one of the 10 in a field you are so happy to work with, then success will eventually come. And I tell you, it's very unlikely it's always the same guy who was picked from the 10 candidates. Uh, you have to accept that there might be wrong decisions. Somebody who's just maybe slightly ahead of you. But persistence, I think, is the key element. Love what you do and persist in what you do and work hard and be the best. Then success will come. And I tell you, I would have been happy at Hugo Boss also not becoming CEO. So, uh, I mean, it, was a it is a privilege for me. It was always a privilege to work for this company. And once you have a chance, then you also have to grab it, do the best with it. You as an extreme, we have to win. Second is not acceptable. Would have been happy as a personal assistant to the CEO. Well, I, I, <laughs> I tell you that my level of happiness in my current role is the maximum I could get. Also, when I was uh, a director running different businesses, when I was a CFO, I loved uh, working there. And uh, I mean, if there's a very successful CEO, I mean, then the question is not on the table. But if the opportunity arises and you think you have the capability, then you have to step up and say, well, now it's my chance uh, to take this leadership. So I don't want people kind of like, okay, well, I want to have Nico's position. So kind of like, how do I kind of... <laughs> well, that's a up. standard process, though, in these well, big companies. Yeah. There's so much of that, unfortunately. Is this your perception? Uh, in the business world? Yeah. You were not like that? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Other people have to tell me. <laughs> I always think it's unfortunate that to get to the top, you have to be a lot like that. Uh, you have to always elbows out and um, be very egotistically driven. And Well, you mentioned that maybe also the business world is changing. I believe promotion is far more today is based on performance rather than bulliness. Um, but clearly, you have to make sure that your accomplishment is also being seen. So if you're too much of a self-modest guy, that's not a good trait uh, in the world of fashion. But people who are bragging and basically claim successes that are not theirs, this can backfire also in a very terrible way, especially if you're surrounded by very smart people that recognize this hoax uh, quite easily. So reputation is also something I would consider as very important uh, in many industries, not only ours. Reputation on the personal, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, the, personal brand, isn't that, it? In, uh, integrity and the behavior that you described as kind of like the success formula, um, many people also a superior will not um, perceive as a team player and, and, uh, as a, and somebody who has integrity to it. And this might be a bigger killer to your career than any truly achieved um, results. So you don't promote bullies? I promote people with a strong leadership ability. But as I said, coming back to my one of my principles, treat people like you want to be treated. If I have somebody where I say, well, I would, it might be a good leader, but I would never work for him uh, or her. Uh, I think then I would have uh, strong consideration whether this downside in the personality still qualifies him or her for the role that we are considering. 
So thank you very much. Thank you very much for the talk and for the insight into the yeah. into the fashion <laughs> world. We'll all follow uh, how your um, transfer to online sales is going to go. Yes, we'll keep That's you posted. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nico.